Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. There's something about the cross that demands a response. And we're going to take a few minutes and just walk through some of the responses that we see in the Word. You know, it's interesting because the cross itself is no big deal. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years pre-Jesus, people were crucified. It was mankind's most cruel, devious, horrible way of killing somebody, of making a spectacle of them, of, of causing untold pain, unimaginable suffering. They wanted to do that. In fact, there's, there's history records a time when the king of Persia actually in one day killed over 300 people by crucifixion just because they opposed him. So the cross itself isn't that big of a deal unless you factor in the why and the who and the sacrifice of it. We're going to go through seven people today who had to confront the cross and they had their responses. They had the things that they, they felt to say and do and they had the things that they came back with when they were confronted with it. And the first one that kind of comes to my attention is Pilate. And when we read through the Gospels and we see the story of Jesus being arrested in the garden, and we can't even imagine it. I mean, if, if I was back there in those days, I would absolutely, I think, do what Peter did and try and chop somebody's ear off or worse. I, I doubt he was aiming at the ear. Um, he was a fisherman, not a swordsman. So I don't know. But you know, there's nothing in us that goes, oh, this is a great idea. Absolutely, Jesus should be arrested. See, Jesus was innocent. Jesus was flawless. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was hated because he did good stuff. Jesus was hated because he functioned in the miraculous, because people were healed, because people were, were uh, brought back to life, because miracles happened and the wisdom of God flowed because it was obvious that Jesus was not just a man. Jesus was arrested for that. Can you imagine? And so he's brought before Pilate and we, we see this transaction that happens and we see the accusations flying and we see a ruler and the word actually tells us he was waiting. He was actually hoping Jesus would come before him because he wanted to see a miracle. He didn't think Jesus was a bad guy. He was just kind of hoping to get front row seat to a miracle. And he, he interrogated Jesus and, and he, he like wanted to know like, what, who are you really? Can you defend yourself? Is anybody else going to defend you? Do you really think this is fair? He, he pressed into it and he pushed it. And essentially he gets to the point where he's like, I, I, don't see, I don't see what the issue is. What do you want me to do with him? What's, what's the problem here? And the same people who had been shouting and cheering and last week had been saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, suddenly started shouting, crucify him. And Pilate's confronted with the cross. And he doesn't get to have a non-opinion. He's the ultimate guy with the decision-making power and he's supposed to respond. He's supposed to say something. 
He's supposed to decide what happens to Jesus, and he's confronted with this cross. They don't just say, arrest him. They don't just say, punish him, whip him. They say, crucify him. The cruelest, most brutal punishment reserved for criminals. And Pilate's like, what do I do with this? It says in Matthew 27, 22 to 24, Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And they said to him, let him be crucified. And the governor said, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more saying, let him be crucified. They essentially took the cross and shoved it at him. Respond. You are confronted with the cross. Respond. Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising. So he took water and he washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this person. You see it here. So Pilate's response to the confrontation of the cross was acknowledging he was an unwilling participant. He didn't necessarily believe Jesus. He didn't necessarily not believe Jesus. He was just saying, I don't want to be part of this. And there's some of us today, you might even be watching online today and you're just like, I actually don't even know what Good Friday is about. I'm just tuning in because I want to I want to like a heads up on what Christians think it is. You might be a pilot. You might want to be like, I have nothing to do with this. Do you know Jesus died for Pilate too? Isn't that fascinating? Pilate said, I don't want anything to do with this. I am publicly saying, I don't want anything to do with this. But the cross was for him too. One of the next ones that's kind of weird is Simon. Simon's the guy who, as Jesus was beaten, they took the crown of thorns and they pressed it into his head. And the Bible tells us that they beat him with sticks and they beat it into his head. They tore the flesh out of his back with whips. They, they, they ripped the beard out of his face. He was mutilated and then he was supposed to take this cross, carry it himself to the place where he would die. And Simon's this guy who is evidently not from there. The Bible tells us that he's from Cyrene. And so he's a, a person who evidently has some sort of an honoring of God. He's in Jerusalem at the time of Passover. So there's a reason that he's there. He has some awareness of God. And he gets brought into the picture kind of unwillingly. Something happens to him and, and you know, studies or the, the, the discussion around it, they believe that he, he probably was obviously a really strong, big man. He would have been the obvious choice that they pulled in. So he got pulled in just because, just because he was maybe capable of, of hauling the cross, not for any other reason, except I believe that God chose him. So it says in Mark 15, 21, that they compelled a certain man named Simon a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear the cross. We don't know anything else about him, except that it's super odd if he's just some random guy in the crowd that we actually know his kids' names. We do know that there's other people by this name further on into the New Testament that probably are his children. We know that church history tells us that there's a, there's a common, at least legend, that he was martyred for his faith in about 100 AD, that something in this moment transformed him forever, transformed his family. 
So we don't know much about him, except that he was conscripted into this thing. And I would say that his word is, his answer to the confrontation of the cross is he was compelled. He was compelled by it. He was compelled to engage it. He was compelled to carry it. He was compelled to acknowledge Jesus. He was drawn into it. Some of us have have this thing where we've been around church circles for a long time. Maybe we've seen stuff happen. I would would not uh, doubt that Simon had seen all kinds of crucifixions. It was weirdly common back then. But he was compelled to engage this one. Where's our heart today? Jesus said that we need to take up our cross and follow him. Then there's the crowd. There's some really nice people. Every time you find yourself in a place of suffering, you will always find a group of people who are just... Mm -hmm. Mark 15, 29 to 30 says, and those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. The mockers, the teasers, the, oh, you thought religion was good for you. You thought God was something. You thought you were something. How's it looking to you now? Their response to the cross was blasphemy. And blasphemy is this weird word because we don't use it very often. It literally means to slander, show disrespect or contempt. The response of the crowd was to slander, show disrespect and contempt. The cross of Christ demands a response. We talked at the beginning of the service. Paul said to some, it's foolishness. It's subject to, to slander. It's subject to disrespect. It's subject to contempt. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's a miracle in action. I would caution any one of us to engage those who show contempt or disrespect, I would caution us to try and argue with it at all. Jesus didn't. He simply said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Some of us, even in family situations or in social situations, our workplaces over an Easter weekend, we find people who are like, oh, you're into that God thing, huh? Good for you, weirdo. Yeah, well, to us, the cross is the power of God. It's life and life abundant. It's the place of exchange. It's the place where everything changed. Jesus didn't engage the stuff. He let them confront the cross and the cross confronted them back. The interesting thing is Jesus died for Pilate. He died for Simon. He died for the crowd. Those very ones who were yelling and blaspheming and mocking The ones who thought he was crazy. The ones who thought this was proof that this is all just nuts. Jesus died for them too. The fourth one is one of the most disturbing to me. And it's the religious people. Do you know it's possible to be religious, to be God aware, 
to even be really busy in the church and not have a relationship with Jesus. It's actually possible to be baptized as a child, to go through different kinds of classes, to, to be a regular attender at church. Maybe, maybe it's special holidays. Maybe it's every single week. And never meet Jesus. The religious people of the day, they did this as their day job. They served the church. They served God. Or they thought they did. But when Jesus came on the scene and he didn't look like what they were expecting, he didn't sound like what they were expecting, he didn't act like what they were expecting, they did this. Mark 15, 31 and 32, it says, Likewise, the chief priests also, like the crowd, mocking amongst themselves with the scribes, said he saved himself, or he saved others. Himself he cannot save. Let the Christ the king of Israel descend now from this cross, then we might see it and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. The religious who'd spent their days in the church, who spent their resources on the church, who spent their time trying to figure out what God wanted for their lives, mocked him, mocked the coming of Jesus mocked the Christ that was, that was here, the lamb that was slain, the blood that poured down this cross. There's an all-in kind of passion that the cross demands. That I believe sometimes those of us who maybe aren't walking in the relationship, we can mock it. We, don't, we wouldn't say that we are. We, we, we don't mean to be mocking, but we're just, you know, we're doing our best. We're, we're good people. We're trying to do good stuff. God's probably reasonably happy with us. Can you imagine Jesus, creator of the world, comes to earth to save those very ones who he has loved who he knit together in their mother's womb, who were born into sin, born into slavery, born into death. God comes and takes on the form of man to set them free. And those who think they know him best reject him the loudest. I think the invitation is there when we see the passion, when God brings us back to that confrontation with the cross, to say, how all in am I? It cost him everything. Do I want God on my terms? Do I want religion on my terms? Do I want my relationship with heavenly things on my terms? Or am I willing to embrace the cross, the passion, the cost, to exchange. See, the religious leaders of that time were looking for a God who would come and support them in their actions. Jesus came to exchange with us. God so loved the world that he came. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We exchange our perishing 
for his everlasting life. And the exchange happened right there. But even though they were mocking, even though they couldn't see it, even though they couldn't get it, even though they were so caught up serving God that they missed God, Jesus died for them. And the cross was for them too. And we see things begin to change. In the book of Acts, we start to see there's this shift that happens when all of these people that we've been talking about, these, these types of people begin to acknowledge what really happened, the real exchange of the cross. Number five is one of the most interesting. It's the guilty person. We're all guilty. We heard the verse, all have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But sometimes we're so far under it that we actually can see it. It says in Luke 23, 39 to 43, then one of the criminals who was hanged blasphemed him saying, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God seeing you're under the same condemnation? And we are here justly for we received the due rewards of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to, to Jesus, Lord, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The one who was ashamed, the one who was guilty, the one who knew it, when he confronted the cross, had revelation and repentance. Revelation and repentance. This is real. He is God. I am guilty. I deserve this. He doesn't deserve this. Why would he do this? He must be God. See, all of, all of history, it doesn't matter what, what religious background you are, you know, what kind of a, uh, I mean, People all over the world, history documents that Jesus lived, that he died, that he died on a cross. Nobody disagrees with that. What they disagree about is who he really is. Is he really God? Did he really die as a sinless man? Did he really rise again? Is he really in heaven now? Can we really have a relationship with him? Or is he just a good guy? The thief on the cross who had nothing left to lose threw it all on this one thing. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. The centurion is recorded. He's the guy who was at the cross, probably the one who'd done the nailing, probably the one who had actually performed the act of crucifying Jesus. Mark 15, 37 to 39, the centurion is confronted with the cross. And it says, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last. And he said, truly, this man was the son of God. The one who had crucified 
physically, Christ had this revelation. How many people do you think he had crucified before? Dozens? Hundreds? Thousands? Some people had really lousy jobs back then. This was his job. He was good at it. Crucifying people. And in fact, their job in those days was to make it last as long as possible. To make it hurt as bad as it could. To make it last as long and the suffering as bad as possible. So it would send a message. How does somebody who sees that much trauma... How does somebody who sees that much death, how does someone who sees that much agony have an epiphany at the foot of a cross and say, truly, this man is the son of God? See, it's not a visual thing. It's not about what do we, whose story do we believe? What side of the tale do we believe? The people who had the encounter encountered something from the inside out. Because this is how it works. The Spirit of God nudges us on the inside. There's a, a thing on the inside of us that, that is marked by God, that's stirred by God, that says, this is, this is real. I am real. I love you. I did this for you. I find it sad that the religious people, documented history here, the religious people mocked him. The one that crucified him believed. Is that something? It tells us that it doesn't matter how good we are. That our encounter with Christ isn't about doing good things. If we were to line up the, the thief on the cross who said, remember me when you come to your kingdom with the religious leaders of the day who mocked Jesus at the foot of the cross. And we were to compare their lifestyles. One would have been a good guy and one would have been a bad guy. But when we're confronted with the cross, we're all equal. We're all just men and women who have fallen short of the glory of God. There is one Savior who hung on the cross at that juncture between the vertical life that we live and the eternal life that's offered to us and offers mercy and offers forgiveness and offers grace, and we can choose. Sometimes I think one of the worst things that we have available to us is an overflow of just religious content. The religious people missed it. The ones who knew they were broken, they caught it. Every one of us has this opportunity. And, and maybe you've been saved and you've come to this point many, many times before. You celebrate out of gratitude. Then I pray that today there be something that just reignites in you. Jesus left it all there. The passion with which he came to this point, this juncture, his connection with the cross, his confrontation with the cross. It was an all-in kind of thing. I pray that each one of us going through this Easter weekend, that we would have that awakening on the inside, that we would fully engage. 
That we would realize that as, as he struggled on that cross and the, the history tells us, the science behind it tells us that Jesus would have had to agonize and decide every breath that he breathed. That he would decide to pull himself up on his wrists or he would decide to push himself up with his back muscles, but he would have had to fight for every single breath. Every breath that I have is meant to be returned to him. Can you imagine? Every breath, when we think about that, we think of the suffering, we think of the agony. It's not meant to be an add-on. It's not meant to be a once or twice a year kind of situation. It's meant to be a daily, every breath I have is a gift from you. And every breath I take, I choose to give back to you. I choose to accept this. It's unfathomable. Can you imagine being the centurion at the foot of the cross and realizing, what have I done? This man is the son of God. What have I done? Every one of us needs that moment at some point in our lives. Maybe you didn't crucify Christ physically, but you're the reason he was there. I'm the reason he was there. Pilate was the reason he was there. Simon the Cyrene was the reason he was there. The crowd was the reason that he was there. The religious people was the reason he was there. The guilty man on the cross was the reason he was there. The centurion who crucified him was the reason he was there. And Jesus' confrontation with the cross. John 19, verse 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Jesus did it all. Most of us would feel a lot better if we could earn our way into relationship with God. If we could be the good people, if we could do life well, if we could be nice, if we have more positives than negatives, if we have more wins than losses, if people, if our neighbors, our friends, our families, our coworkers think we're a pretty nice person, we would feel a lot better about coming to God. The track record of those who confronted the cross on that day, it doesn't actually look that great for those who were good people. We all have to come to that point of going, man, I need Jesus every day of my life. I cannot do it well. I am never righteous. I am never holy on my own. I, I can't earn my way into God's favor. But when I encounter when I confront the cross and I take this sacrifice and I believe what Jesus said, it is finished and I receive it, everything can change. And it's not an add-on to life, it's an exchange of life. And of course you need to come back Sunday to hear the rest of the story, you know this. Galatians 2.20 says, I'm crucified with Christ. 
Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Romans 10.9, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So he did it all. And all we have to do is receive it. I'm going to have the worship team come and we're going to prepare ourselves for communion this morning. But we want to take a minute and just consider this. Consider our confrontation with the cross. Consider the purity of it. Consider the simplicity of it. All of these people, all of these people have different ways or different reasons for initially encountering the cross, confronting the cross. All of them have different responses, but we don't get to not respond. And for those who are part of this church family, um, this is a permanent fixture now in this house. Um, yeah, it's pretty awesome, huh? And we want to be continuously reminded. We know that this isn't the end of the story. We know that, that Jesus rose from the dead, but we want to be continuously reminded that it's not by our own works. It's not by our own good deeds. It's not because we've done, well, we had a good week this week. It's because of him. It's because of the cross. It's because of the blood. It's because God so loved me. He gave his only begotten son. It's because God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. It's because at the points of my failure and my mistakes, my ongoing screw ups, they still happen quite regularly. I just go back to the cross. And though my sins be as scarlet, they've been made white as snow. And every time I feel like I, man, I've blown it so bad. I can remember, you know, it's not the good people who responded properly to the cross. It's the broken people. It's the messed up people. The invitation continues to be there. And this morning before we take communion and we, we honor the sacrifice in this way, we want to make sure that we give an opportunity. The only qualifications for receiving communion together is that we are believers in Jesus Christ, that we're born again, which as the scripture I just read, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You don't have to take 19 classes. You know, you don't have to pay anybody. You, don't have, you just believe in your heart and you decide and you begin to confess that Jesus is Lord. You have this centurion moment at the foot of the cross where you say, yeah, he's the son of God. And the Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. That everything can change right here. That according to what the apostle Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, 
I get a new life and it's Jesus living on the inside of me. So I'm gonna ask if everybody in the room would just close your eyes for a moment. We wanna just take a, a sacred moment, but I wanna give you an opportunity. If you have not made this decision for Christ, you have not received him, you've not accepted him until now, and you need to, we're gonna take that opportunity. And there's some who maybe have, you've just drifted away. You've, you've looked at this incorrectly. You've looked at God incorrectly. He's just been a, an add-on kinda. But you wanna make that commitment for Christ today. Then this is the time for you. So just in a moment, I'm gonna ask those who need to make this decision if you'd raise your hands. But I want you to just listen to your heart right now. That thing on the inside of you, that even Pilate was like, I, I, I feel something on the inside. The thief on the cross, who was like, I, I, I feel something on the inside. The centurion, who was like, I know it on the inside. It's not about persuasive words. It's not about the emotions of a moment. It's about, is this your time to give your life to Christ? Is this your time to be all in with Him? And if that's you this morning, I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand and just hold it up for a moment. And we're going to agree together that this is your day of decision. If that's you, just put your hand up. And we're going to pray together, all of us. Anybody in this room this morning, you've never made that decision or you need to make one as a recommitment today. Okay, so I'm going to believe that we have all made this decision this morning. So we're coming into this place of celebration of this moment. I don't mean to harp on the religious side of things. But I felt like even in preparing for today and this weekend, I felt like the Lord was highlighting the fact that guilt, shame, mistakes, they often try and come up and cripple us in our current walk with Jesus. Whether it's something that's happened today or it's something that happened this week or it's something that happened this year or this decade, but these things kind of can swirl around us and they can capture our attention and it can compromise our ability to fully engage with the love of God. And I really felt a strong leading preparing for this weekend that God is really wanting to strip all this away. The warning is the religious people who stood at the foot of the cross and mocked Jesus. They trusted their do-good attitudes more than they trusted the power of the blood. Where the lie comes in for us is that when guilt and shame and condemnation and mistakes and past stuff and hurts and unforgiveness and bitterness and these things are there, we could be so tempted to try and work it out, do better, fix it, solve it, change it, willpower it, 
And this morning as we celebrate this gift of the cross, I feel like the reminder from heaven is it's complete. Jesus said, it is finished. It's finished forever. And this morning as we receive communion together, I want to encourage each one of us to grasp this, to confront the cross, to realize that the best thing we can do is be like the thief on the cross who just said, like, remember me as you come into your kingdom. He's essentially saying, you're the Christ and I'm in. I can't do it. You can. So I'm not going to worry about trying to make myself feel better. I'm going to, by faith, receive the forgiveness. I'm going to, by faith, walk in newness of life. I am going to, by faith, decide I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Christ lives in me. I'm going to decide today that this exchange that happened at the cross doesn't mean I'm perfect. It means He is. And the perfect sacrifice has been made. I'm refusing any longer to live under the wages of sin. I'm choosing to live the gift of life that's been offered to me. Let's stand together this morning. I think we've all received our communion elements together. <laughs> Isaiah 53, three to six. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. And he was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Lord, this morning we come into this place and we're so grateful. We're so grateful that we're not talking about religious theory. We're not talking about theology and, and discussions and disputes. We're talking about the pure truth of the gospel. Jesus, that our iniquity was laid upon you. You died so that we could live. We thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness that's offered. We thank you for the life that's offered. We thank you, God, for the cleansing. We thank you, Lord, for the new beginning that you've given us. And Lord, right now, if there's any place where we've either been complacent in our walk with you, we've been lazy in it in any way or God where we've allowed the enemy to mess with our passion level any of the accusations God any of just the busyness any of the distractions God the things that would seek to steal away from the passion of the it is finished moment that you've offered us God Lord we just ask your forgiveness and we pray even in this moment, as we celebrate the, the gift that you've given, as we consecrate ourselves into this relationship, God, as we drink the juice and we eat the bread and we rem remember what it is you've done, 
God, I thank you for a fresh awakening of passion on the inside of us. That something would stir like never before, God, that there would be a fire that burns on the inside of us. God, that your words would burn upon our lips, God, that your life would burn on the inside of us, that we would be ablaze with passion for you. God, that we would be able to come into agreement with the words of the Apostle Paul, that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That we'd be aware of that, God, that we'd live from that place. Lord, today we commit ourselves fully into this relationship and into your care. We're just going to prepare ourselves to drink the cup. have a problem because we're doing this in reverse accidentally. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it still counts. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, Luke 22, verse 14. When the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. And he said, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took the cup after supper, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. For behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on this table. Lord, today we thank you for this cup. We thank you, God, for what it represents. We thank you for the blood of the new covenant. We thank you, God, that even as you sat with your betrayer, you choose to acknowledge this is the new thing. I'm doing it anyway. God, today we're overwhelmed by the cross. We're overwhelmed by the cost that was paid. We're overwhelmed by how you laid your life down willingly. And we thank you today that it was for this very thing, the new covenant, that we would know you, that you would live in us. God, that there would be a relationship that we could experience with you. And so, Lord, we thank you in this moment for this cup, and we do this in remembrance of you. Thank you, God. New bloodlines. <laughs> New cleansing. He was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. It says he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
Lord, we thank you for the broken body. We thank you for the promise that is connected to it, God. And I thank you for health and life and strength over each person, over each heart, over each mind, over each body. Jesus, we thank you that by your stripes we are healed. Lord, today we thank you for the fullness of the plan, the fullness of the cross, the fullness of the crucifixion. We thank you for willingly laying down your life for us. We thank you for the blood that was spilled. We thank you for the declaration of it is finished. And God, we thank you today that as we prepare ourselves for Sunday, that we know the end of the story. We know that you not only died for us, but you rose again. That everything changes. That sin and death has been defeated and it's been swallowed up in victory. God, we thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for this relationship. And I pray over this assembly as we go into this Easter weekend, God, beautiful encounters with you. Lord, that our prayer times would be rich, that our worship times would be saturated in your presence, God. And Lord, that every breath that we breathe would be committed to you and to this relationship that we have with you. Lord, I speak blessing over every family gathering. I pray over every meal table. We pray for salvations. We pray for God encounters. Lord, we pray for healthy conversations. We thank you, Lord, for the awakening within the hearts of your people, Lord, to know you more. Lord, that families would come to that place of revelation. And God, even as we see the story of Simon of Cyrene, God, and we see the recognition of his sons, we know that there was a family legacy that was picked up at the cross. God, we call in family legacy of relationship with you. And I thank you for a blessed holiday weekend. We give you the praise for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.VictoryGP.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.